Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me today is Jake Yarberry, Nutrition Services Manager for the Dairy Council of Nevada and a nutritionist with Flavors for Life. Flavors for Life is a nonprofit organization designed to educate the Las Vegas community on healthy cooking and healthy eating. And the Dairy Council of Nevada is a nonprofit organization of dedicated professionals devoted to the promotion of agriculture, lifelong health, and the enjoyment of food. Jake, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that great introduction about all the things that uh, I'm involved in. So thank you. I think there's a few more. I didn't want to overwhelm, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what exactly do you do with the Dairy Council of Nevada? So I do I do a whole lot of things. Um, so the biggest thing that we do is uh, we're in schools. The Dairy Council of Nevada has always been involved in nutritional education. So our big program right now is called Fuel Up to Play 60. It's a partnership with the NFL. Here locally, we're partnered with the Raiders. What we really push is 60 minutes of activity and then also a good nutrition. So fruits, vegetables, low-fat dairy, you know, healthy meats. So that's what I do here. And I'm a dietitian, so I, I'm a good one to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and I forgot. So you asked me about some other stuff. We also help with food insecurity. So we uh-huh. provide refrigeration units to food pantries. I work closely with with uh, Three Square Food Bank to do that as well. And then we also do great uh, community events. Nice. Okay. When exactly was the Dairy Council of Nevada formed? I believe it was 1981 that it was formed. So mm-hmm. we're actually under a USDA program called the Checkoff Program, and that's I work for dairy farmers. So it, it makes sure that we're getting our word out there, making sure promoting dairy, that it's nutrition, and the dairy farmers practice sustainability on their farms and the way that they produce uh, dairy products. Okay, so what is the association between the Dairy Council of Nevada and Nevada Dairy Farmers? So the, the association is, we've got a lot of different different titles. So I'll, I'll say it this way. The Dairy Council is a, a promotional arm. Um, mm-hmm. So we go, like I said, we promote nutrition in schools. We promote nutrition to the community. We promote nutrition to people that, that are food insecure, to food banks. Um, we just make sure that the community knows that milk is a nutritional product and it's sustainable. Now, where it goes back to the farmers is we we actually get the money for our organization directly from dairy farmers. So okay. the money goes through a USDA program called the checkoff, but the, the dairy farmers fund us. Not, not to get too complicated with it. That's a good explanation. Simple good. and understandable. That's what we're looking for. So Good. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much I, I, I work for dairy farmers and uh, I, I love dairy farmers because they're super duper hardworking. They never get to take a day off because cows never take a day off. So right. they're, they're, they're there taking care of those cows. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then what's your role with Flavors for Life? So with Flavors for Life, I'm, I'm the current president of Flavors for Life. 
I've been with them for about a year now. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet Annarella Jordan, who's the founder of Flavors for Life. Um, mm-hmm. It's a healthy culinary movement. They do uh, culinary competitions in high schools. They also do culinary competitions with professional chefs as well and um, culinary instructors. How does Flavors for Life help contribute to healthier habits and practices within our community? So Flavors for Life has a curriculum that they help high school students with. And then with their competitions, their competitions have guidelines on how much like sodium can be in there, how much saturated fat, uh, what, the, what the calorie content can be. And they also have the students choose an ingredient and explain what the health benefits of that ingredient is. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about how people can boost their digestive health. One topic that's confusing is what's the difference between prebiotics and probiotics? That is very confusing. So I'm a dietitian, but I'm not a gut health dietitian. So let me say that straight out. But pretty much, I try to keep things really simple. So prebiotics are fiber. So when you're having like your carrots, your oatmeal, the fibrous part of, uh, of those foods goes into your gut. Your gut is filled with bacteria. So don't get super grossed out, but <laughs> it's filled with all, the, all this bacteria. And the bacteria feeds off that fiber. And after, when, when it's feeding, those byproducts that the bacteria produces contributes to good health. You know, So like vitamin K is produced in the gut by bacteria. So that, that's what a prebiotic is. So a probiotic is pretty much those bacteria. So when you're eating yogurt, kefir, foods like that, you're, you're getting probiotics. Um, so you're getting the, these healthy bacteria to support gut health. Now, there's a lot of supplements that are probiotic supplements. And like I said, I'm, I'm not a gut health dietitian. So I'll, I'll just tell you that there's not a whole lot of research on probiotic supplements. Um, I always suggest like real foods, whole foods. I always suggest to those prebiotics and feeding your healthy, they call it biome. You know, I'm old, so I always think of like biodome and, you know, um, but like healthy biome and um, feeding those healthy bacteria so that they can help grow more healthy bacteria and proliferate, you know. And then if you are going to go for probiotics, which is great, eating like yogurt, kefir, healthy foods that have the bacteria already in them. What I try to do to keep it simple Mm -hmm. is just trying to make sure that you're choosing healthier foods, such as fruits, vegetables, dairy products, to, to get that those uh, that healthy gut instead of doing stuff that's fast food, that's like um, enriched breads that don't have, have that fiber content in it, um, mm-hmm. not getting those fruits and vegetables to feed your, your healthy, the healthy bacteria. That's what I would go more for than, than trying to figure out the equivalents, you know? Because I do know that like when you're taking those probiotic supplements, they have to end up in your intestines and they have to make it through your digestive tract, which means that they have to make it through all that acid in your stomach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, you know, just thinking of it real simply, probiotics, again, they're bacteria. So they're live organisms. So if you're taking a supplement off the shelf that's been there for three months or however long, whatever it is, you know? 
you have to think, is there really live bacteria in there? You know, that's or, what I always wonder, like, <laughs> how is it yeah. possible? Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I try to keep things as simple and straightforward with people as, as possible, you know, where it's like, okay, d- does this make sense to you? A probiotic means that it's live bacteria. How is it going to be alive if it, if it's sitting sitting on a shelf for three months, yeah, or like yeah. even if it if it's in a refrigeration unit, you know, and it has it been kept safe enough where that stuff's actually going going to be alive while it's in the refrigeration unit and back to your house and then through your digestive system, you know, is it actually going to to make it there? So that that's how I think about it, but I think about it the same way, and, and this is because I. I know dairy and I talk about dairy all the time is, mm-hmm. is just, you know, when people talk about dairy farmers, some of the stuff that they say, does that make sense? You know, because a dairy farmer is a businessman. So is, is a, the dairy farmer is going to try to stay as sustainable as possible because mm-hmm. sustainability saves money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So everything is logical, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like every, when, when I give presentations, it, I try to make it as logical for people as possible. Hey, I like logic. Yeah. No, no argument here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I say anything not logical, say, oh, oh that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Is it important to eat prebiotics before the probiotics so that the probiotics can eat the prebiotics? <laughs> so, I, you know... I mean, logically, <laughs> logically, yeah, logically that, that would, that would make sense, um, I guess, but I, I, I just think it, think it, it gets, gets a little bit too complicated, you know? So again, I think that it's more just, you, you want to be eating your, the, your vegetables. You want to be eating asparagus. You want to be eating the, those raw vegetables or lightly cooked vegetables, you know, so that it can get in your system and your body can be uh, your the bacteria in your gut can be eating on those uh, on those fibers, you know, on the prebiotic fibers. So maybe there's some research out there somewhere that says, you know, have a probiotic and then have fiber later so it can eat it, you know. But it really is just about consistency. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of nutritional research is really, really hard because, we have such a hard time being consistent with things, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that I loved when I was in school is we talked about, there's a seventh day Adventist study, you know, and they're able to get good research off of that because just with their religion, they eat very, very healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you go with somebody that's eating an American diet and they are, you know, eating fast food and drinking soda all the time, and then you're like, okay, now we're going to do this habit change. I want you to track and get back to us on it. And it's not like a controlled environment because they're still at home. And there's still so many factors where they can say, oh, yeah, I was doing it. Because I know I'd say I, I'm doing it and I'm not doing it, you know, that, that it's it's really hard to get really good research on, on that kind of stuff. So when I look at things, I, I kind of look at more of, does it? Like I said before, does it make sense? You know, will that probiotic supplement actually make it to your gut? Or, you know, and, and then can we feed it with, like you said, can we feed it with carrots or asparagus? You know, um, <laughs> but but I think it's more that if you're eating fruits and vegetables on a regular basis, you're having those dairy products on a regular basis, 
that's when you've got a healthy gut. If you're eating fast food and, um, and not, not to say anything bad, I, I eat fast food when I'm, cause I'm rushing around all the time, but mm-hmm. if you're eating it on a regular basis, then it's not going to be good, good for you. You know, if you're eating fruits and vegetables and having those, you know, like I said, the, the yogurt and the kefir and just, um, healthy meats and stuff that your, your gut bacteria is going to, going to be a lot better in a lot better shape. Okay. Now, when we get an infection and go on a course of antibiotics, typically the pharmacist will say, make sure you eat yogurt when you're on the antibiotics or after you finish the course of antibiotics. So what exactly is the correlation between probiotics and antibiotics? Like obviously pro-anti, that's pretty clear, but give us a little deeper explanation of it. Okay, so... The reason that we take antibiotics is to kill those bad bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. But like a lot of times when you're taking an antibiotic, it can't be like real specific and and just kill a certain bacteria. So it'll kill a lot of bacteria that's in your gut, you know? So they're telling you to, to eat the yogurt because they want to make sure that you're getting the good bacteria back in your gut so that it can multiply and it can give you that good bacteria in your, in your gut. So you have a good percentage of bacteria and not a good percentage of bad bacteria. You know, that's why they, they tell you to do it is because the antibiotic pretty much kills the bacteria. And when they're saying pro, probiotic, again, probiotic just means bacteria. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and that's why there's a million different probiotics too, is because there's a million different bacterias. So yeah, yeah, there's all these yeah. different strains. Are there specific ones that people should focus on? Because I mean, it's actually easy to get overwhelmed by all the different strains of probiotics available, even on a just yogurt, like there's a list of various different probiotics in there. Right. And you know, the main one is that lactobacillus. And there's a million different types of lactobacillus too. So no, I, again, I, I wouldn't don't I think too hard. Don't think, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't think too hard. I wouldn't wouldn't think too hard. Yeah. It, it, if if you're eating fruits and vegetables, you're feeding those good bacteria. And if you're having yogurt and kefir and I there there's a bite kim, kombucha or kombucha, kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you're getting uh you're getting those good bacteria in there, you know. Um so yeah, I wouldn't think too hard about it. Okay. I always think thinking too hard is more of a marketing ploy than anything else, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that can be true. Yeah. So. All right. So how do people find out more about Flavors for Life and the programs that Flavors for Life does and or the Dairy Council of Nevada and the programs that the Dairy Council does? I'm so glad you asked because I would have totally forgotten. Flavors for Life has a great website. But what, what they really have nice is a YouTube channel. So if you go to um, their YouTube and just type in Flavors for Life, uh, you'll pull up all of Annarella's different videos on, on different subjects. She, she makes these little cute cartoons and tries to keep everything really simple. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, if you go farther than simple, and, and just like this talk today, like I said, I am not a, a gut dietitian, you know? So you should speak to a, to a dietitian about anything that goes real specific or real deep into how you're going to do your diet or do your plan or any health condition that you have. Mm-hmm. My main focus as a dietitian is, is marketing nutrition 
So trying to talk in a broad sense, um, trying to make it clear um, with my communication, which sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know. So <laughs> if you need real specific, specific stuff, please see your dietitian and, and see your doctor. Then with the Dairy Council, all you have to do is go to Dairy Council of Nevada and uh, you'll, you'll pull us up and see all our cute videos and tons and tons of information on dairy farming, on sustainability. We've got recipes on the site. And I, I'm going back and forth, but Anaroa also wanted me to mention from Flavors of Her Life, they do they will be having a teen competition um, Saturday, March 25th, 2023 at UNLV. Okay. And this is the competition that I was talking about before where teens from different high schools, they'll make like an entree, they'll have an entree team and they'll have a dessert team. They'll come in front of the judges and uh, they'll, they'll present, okay, why, why is this a healthy alternative to a regular, if you just made a regular strawberry cheesecake or, or whatever, what, what ingredients have I changed in it to make it a little bit healthier or maybe a lot of bit healthier. And then uh, we'll let, we'll do that with all the different high schools and an award winner at that competition. Okay. Yeah, we actually had this year's winner on the show a couple of months ago. So how do high school students make sure that they get a chance to enter that competition if they want to? So Anarella is amazing. So all the culinary instructors here in Nevada know about the competition. Okay. I would say um, also, though, if you're, if you're a student, check out Flavors for Life and make sure that your teachers are aware of competition. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we're all aware of everything. But, you know, I need to, to go grocery shopping and I've had to do it for three days and I haven't done it. So, you know, <laughs> just, just make sure that you're, you're out there reminding, reminding your teachers um, that the competition is coming up and that you want to be involved in it. Nice. Okay. So flavorsforlife.org, if you want to find out more about Flavors for Life, find out about the upcoming competition or any of the other programs that they're running dairycouncilnv.org if you want to find out more about the Dairy Council of Nevada and both of them have YouTube channels if you want to watch their videos and be entertained while you learn more about healthy eating. Jake, thank you so much for being here and talking with us today and letting us know, you know, how to be healthier in some simpler ways instead of thinking too hard and getting too caught up in it. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is Weight Bias. I'm worried about your weight. Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day. You're not the right fit for this job. Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight. These people often blame themselves. It's just me. Nobody likes me. I do exercise and eat right. And I talk to my doctor. Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together. Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and joining me today is Keisha Westbrooks, the College of Southern Nevada's 50th anniversary student commencement speaker. 
Keisha just graduated from CSN with an associate degree in general studies and is pursuing a bachelor's degree in social work at UNLV. She was introduced to her life's new purpose by CSN's prison education program while incarcerated for a financial crime and has now worked with the Nevada Prison Education Project for the past three years. Keisha is also a veteran and a survivor of both cancer and stroke, so she's definitely overcome many challenges and stumbling blocks to achieve her education goals. Keisha, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. When you were in prison, what was it that inspired you to take advantage of CSN's prison education program? Well, prison is not a fun place to be. It's very depressing and they strip away your humanity and the opportunity to go to CSN was kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel for me. It mm. gave me hope when I had none. And before that time, was attending college one of your goals? Absolutely. It's always been something that I wanted to do. I started my associate's degree in 2001 and just finished in 2021. So that's a long time. <laughs> 20 years to get an associate's degree. That might be a record. Exactly. <laughs> that might be a record. Yes, exactly. But you know, I did it now and moving forward, you know, I'm pretty proud of that accomplishment, especially because it took me so long. You know, sometimes you have to prioritize being a mom, working full time, taking care of your family or pursuing your dreams and your goals. And my kids are at an age now where I can spend a little more time investing in myself and making the rest of our future together beautiful. You know, I have an amazing support system. I have amazing mentors, and if things hadn't happened in my life exactly the way they did, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, health issues, going to prison actually gave me the passion that I have for social work. So all of the challenges and obstacles I faced, they proved to be resources for me because I would not have this situation be the, what it is today. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that it took you 20 years to get your associate's degree, which, I mean, just being able to complete that must be amazing. But how has going through that and taking the program and you know, finally being able to achieve your goals, how has all of that impacted your life and changed your goals and what you want for your future? I'm absolutely overwhelmed by everything that's come from this long journey, I was beyond honored to be asked to speak at the graduation. And the response that I'm getting from it touches my heart, that people are able to see the hard work that I put in and look beyond the mistakes I made in my past. Yeah, that's incredible. 50th anniversary of CSN, and you were chosen to be the student commencement speaker. How does that feel? It's overwhelming. It still doesn't feel real. Standing at that podium in front of like 7,000 plus people, it was surreal. What's the purpose behind the Nevada Prison Education Project, which you've been working with? The Nevada Prison Education Project, pretty much all of us believe that education is the bridge that will lessen the gap between the stigma of being a felon and having a successful future. And we bring education into prison can change the scope of the inmates' life and thus in turn their whole family. 
Yeah. What do you think the difference is between offering higher education in prison and not offering the higher education? What's it actually like to be offered that opportunity? I can speak for myself. It gave me hope in a time where I felt completely hopeless. Hope is a huge thing when you don't have any. Mm. And having a productive outlet in such a negative environment is instrumental in changing a person's thought process. When people go to prison, most people are not going to be there for the rest of their lives. They're going to be in society. And why not give a chance at having a productive life? Yeah. Tell us more about the challenges that you've faced while going through your educational journey and what the motivation was to keep pushing through in spite of all the stumbling blocks. You know, my health was definitely an issue. There were days when I just getting up and going to school did not sound appealing. But mm. I do it because I refuse to show my two daughters that it's okay to give up just because it gets hard. My oldest daughter is going back to school as a result of seeing me do it. Wow. You know, hearing someone say you can do something is vastly different from seeing them do it. Yeah. And I'm trying to be an example today more so than I ever have in my life. What do you plan to do once you graduate from UNLV? Well, that's going to be another long process. I have two more semesters left in my bachelor's degree, and mm -hmm. I plan to go on to get my master's. And it might be the dual enrollment program with the Juris Doctorate degree, or after the master's, I'm thinking maybe a doctor of public policy. So I have quite a ways to go on my educational journey. Yeah. But it will be another 20 years. <laughs> and I promise it won't be 20 years this time. <laughs> What was that moment when the light bulb went off and you decided that social work was going to be your new life's mission? The day that those gates closed behind me when I walked into prison, after seeing the whole criminal justice process at work, there's so much injustice there. Once I got in prison and started seeing like what other people's time structures were like, and I was doing the same amount of time for a financial crime, as someone who committed vehicular homicide. Yeah. I couldn't understand how that happens. So much injustice happens in this world. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. It was ding. And the light bulb went off and I'm just an advocate for equality, social justice. It's time. When you were in prison, was CSN the only higher education program that was offering a prison education program that you could take advantage of? When I was in prison at that time, yes. I understand now that there are other colleges that are doing correspondence degrees, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, to think that the four years I sat there, I could be through my bachelor's degree. That's really beautiful for the women that are still there. PrisonEducationProject.org if you want to see what the national version of the organization is doing. And of course, Keisha's talking about the Nevada Prison Education Project, which is the initiative in our own backyard in Nevada, helping incarcerated prisoners get access to higher education 
so that when they come back into society, they are educated and well-rounded and skilled and able to pursue their own life goals, as she mentioned, beyond what prison affords them. So Keisha, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about these programs that are happening and what a benefit they are and how much difference it made in your life. It's been really inspiring and I want to thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for having me and giving me a chance to share my story. For more information on the Nevada Prison Education Project, contact Susan Chandler, professor of the School of Social Work in Reno at 775-229-2933. That's Susan Chandler at 775-229-2933. This message is for Shana, my mom who just finished her high school diploma. I wanted to say I'm so proud of you for finishing school. You told me it's never too late to achieve your dreams. I hope to make you as proud as you have made me. When you graduate, they graduate. Finish your high school diploma for you and for them. Visit finishyourdiploma.org to find free and supportive adult education centers near you. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and joining me today is Malcolm Allo, Program Coordinator with the Southern Nevada Health District's Office of Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion. The SNHD recently announced a few non-smoking initiatives in partnership with local sports venues. Starting this season, Las Vegas Lights soccer games at Cashman Field and Las Vegas Aviators baseball games at Las Vegas Ballpark are smoke-free and so is the entire UNLV campus. Malcolm, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Why did the Southern Nevada Health District decide that all the sports venues and educational campuses should be smoke-free? I guess we can start with the university campus first because that was the one that we started with the longest time ago. Sure. So about 20 years ago, the Surgeon General of the United States made a statement on a conclusion that said there is no safe level of secondhand smoke. So exposure, whether it's fleeting, if it's one minute, or if it's five minutes, um, it is dangerous to those that are around secondhand smoke. So with that being said, 20 years ago, we launched a campaign, an initiative to help UNLV to turn them 100% smoke and tobacco free. Um, now, since the emergence of vape products, that policy has been exposed expanded to smoke-free, tobacco-free, and vape-free. So 20 years ago, we launched that campaign, the initiative for UNLV to go smoke, tobacco, and vape-free. As of August 15, 2022, this year coming up in here in a few months, UNLV on all its campuses um, will be 100% tobacco-free. We're super excited about that. Using that same idea that there is no safe level of secondhand smoke, we realized that sports venues and sporting teams here in Las Vegas is coming and it's here and we're excited about it from the aviators to the lights to the aces to the raiders to the night well all of those places have smoke-free protection you know you cannot smoke in the t-mobile arena you cannot smoke at the legion stadium but where you could smoke was at the las vegas aviators and at the las vegas lights so we thought in order to make these places true family-friendly facilities we wanted to work with these facility owners and managers and tell them the benefits of being smoke-free and encourage them to adopt the policy. And thankfully, they have. So the reason why those two venues in particular were not smoke-free yet, is it because they're outdoor venues? 
Absolutely. So here in Nevada, we have the Nevada Clean and Air Act that was passed, but that includes indoor places. And there's a few exemptions, as we all know, gaming, floors, tobacco retail shops, brothels, places that are age-restricted over the age of 21, like bars and nightclubs. But another part of exempted locations was outdoor arenas, such as these, so stadiums. So what these two teams did was they went above and beyond what is mandated by law in the Nevada Clean Air Act and created voluntary policy that's stronger than the Nevada Clean Air Act and create a policy that protects all its fans, visitors, and staff at, at their arenas. So you mentioned that 20 years ago they discovered that there's no safe level of secondhand smoke, but how dangerous is secondhand smoke? Secondhand smoke is extremely dangerous. Even some studies indicate that even if you are a non-smoker and you do not partake in cigarette usage or tobacco usage, you can have the same health um, risk as those who are current smokers. So eliminating exposure from secondhand smoke, whether if it's in a car, if it's in a house, if it's at a facility like these arenas that we're talking about on a college campus or on a school campus is extremely important because it will reduce lung injury, lung cancers, heart disease, um, et cetera, et cetera. We just eliminate the exposure of secondhand smoke. Now, you mentioned vaping products as well, and the general society consensus is that vaping is a lot healthier than smoking, for example, cigarettes. Obviously, that is not the case, or we wouldn't even be talking about vaping products in this conversation. So how dangerous is vaping? So the, yeah, this, is a, this is a good point, Heather, that a lot of people have the uh, misperception that vaping is safer than traditional combustible commercial cigarettes. What we do know is that vaping is not safe. So the nicotine levels and the tobacco products that are in vape products are just as harmful as combustible cigarettes. So, for example, when we're talking about nicotine levels, the popular Juul products, according to Juul itself on their website, one Juul pod, so that pod that you put into the vaping device, has as much nicotine as 20 packs of cigarettes. Wow. And that is extremely alarming. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, very crazy. And what's more alarming is that, as we all know, is that this vape epidemic is occurring with our teens and our youth, right? So for years and years and years, public health has done a good job of weaning people off and helping those quit who are current tobacco users. And the rates of cigarette use has been decreasing year after year after year. But with the emergence of vape products, that trend is now reversing. And just to give you an example, right now in Nevada, the smoking combustible cigarette rate for a teenager is under 5%. But Heather, when we're looking at our vaping rates, we're over 20%. One in five teens in Nevada are using vape products, but less than 5% are using combustible cigarette products. So had vape products not emerged or came onto the scene, you can see we would have made some big wins and we would have been celebrating some big success here with the elimination of tobacco use. Yeah. Now, do you think that the tobacco use, meaning cigarette smoking, would have still been that low if it wasn't for vaping? Yes. So that rate has been decreasing since we started measuring back in 1998. So we've seen a decrease every year here in Nevada of combustible cigarette smoking. So we were right on track to get to the 5%. What we're seeing now is the reversal of that trend. And we're starting to see both electronic cigarette use uptake and vape use uptake as a result of vaping products. Wow. So I can imagine that this issue is going to be somewhat divisive. 
the non-smokers were going to be like, oh, great. Yeah, this is wonderful. Smoke-free venues, you know, less places where we have to inhale secondhand smoke. And yet the smokers are going to say, but it's outdoors. It doesn't affect people. You know, I can imagine some pushback from the smokers who are used to being able to smoke when they watch baseball or soccer outside. <laughs> right. What has the feedback been so far? So the feedback prior to the policy passage was the opposite. We've been receiving calls from people who are attended these games that said, hey, I'm trying to watch these games with my children. And there's people behind me on the concourse lighting up. Um, and the smoke is infiltrating down to my seat or I'm a season ticket holder, but the seat I purchased is now near the smoking section. So we would get those calls more often. Since the announcement of these policies, both at UNLV, the lights and the aviators, we have not received any complaints from anyone saying, hey, where am I supposed to smoke, etc." I think the way people view tobacco use and commercial tobacco use has changed. You know, this is the same argument people had with airplanes, right? It's like, I can't fly on a plane because I can't use my cigarettes, but a sporting game, a sporting match, you know, typically two to three hours, we feel like you can do that. You can handle not smoking or using tobacco products for that long. But we understand, Heather, that smoking and, the, and nicotine addiction is real. So we encourage anyone who uses these products to quit smoking, and we have free resources for anyone to do so. Okay. And what other types of venues besides the sports arenas and UNLV are now smoke-free? So if you are a child here in Nevada, if you're born and raised here and you went to Little League, most of the parks here in, in Nevada are smoke-free. So then you are used to playing in a smoke-free facility. Then you go to your Clark County School District and you're on your high school team. Well, the Clark County School District is also smoke-free. So now it's just taking that pattern and taking it to UNLV where you're going to go and further your education and then where you can play and enjoy leisure activities like watching the Aviators game. So it's just a pattern that we created of a healthy lifestyle from childhood um, all the way to adulthood of living 100% um, tobacco-free. Other venues that are on our radar is the city of Las Vegas Parks and Recreation. You know, we want to be able to help them and encourage them to go smoking tobacco-free. The city of Henderson and the city of North Las Vegas have good policies um, where we think the city of Las Vegas can improve their policies um, when it comes to tobacco-free spaces. And also, we want to work with Clark County Parks and Recreation or any of these parks policies people when they have special events, whether it's the Renaissance Festival or Bite of Las Vegas or Petapalooza or Gay Pride, we want to be able to help turn those places 100% smoke and tobacco free. And we've had success doing so. For example, the Las Vegas Gay Pride is smoke free, the June Festival is smoke free, etc. So we're having success turning these signature community events tobacco free. Okay, and what about the casinos, the restaurants, the bars, the theaters, the meeting venues? So those places are, um, according to Nevada Clean Air Act, some can and some cannot. So the general rule is, if you are going to allow anyone under the age of 21 in your facility, so if you are a concert venue like, you know, the Caesars Palace Coliseum and there are people under the age of 21, that place has to be smoke-free. If it's age-restricted where you have to be 21 plus, you can allow smoking. So casino floors, bars, and nightclubs are now allowed to use tobacco products. Now, hopefully that changes in the future. Hopefully we are able to change the way people view and feel about smoke-free environments and protections and get those smoke-free as well. Okay. So where can people find out more about the SNHD and also access those resources that you mentioned to help them quit smoking if they choose to? Yeah, absolutely. So anyone 
who are currently using tobacco products, whether it's combustible commercial cigarettes or vape products, cigar, snuff, et cetera. If you need help quitting smoking, um, we encourage everyone to call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 1-800-784-8669. Or you can text QUIT-NOW to 333-888. Again, that's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. And that is available in any language. So whatever language you want to speak to, you can call these certified cessation counselors and they'll help you get on a path to living tobacco-free, whether that's through counseling or prescribing you nicotine replacement therapy like patches or gum or lozenges. Um, we're here here to help. And that resource is 100% free, Heather. Not a dime you'll be asked for. So you just call those numbers or tech quit now to 333-888 and these counselors can help you get on the way to living smoke and tobacco-free. If you want more information about the dangers of secondhand smoke or just want to read more about our tobacco control program and our initiatives, we encourage everyone to visit GetHealthyClarkCounty.org. Again, that's GetHealthyClarkCounty.org. Okay, so once again, you can call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text QUIT-NOW to 333-888. And the website, if you want to find out more, GetHealthyClarkCounty.org. I was actually there earlier, and I noticed there's also a smoke-free meeting directory that you have available there. Yeah, absolutely. So, or and more, um, more need is our smoke-free housing directory. So, if you're trying to look for somewhere where tobacco use or cannabis use or vape use is not allowed in a living facility, condominium or apartment, you can go onto our smoke-free housing directory and type in what type of housing you want, luxury, senior, etc., and then what part of town, and it'll provide where our smoke-free housing is here in the valley. And we have over sixty thousand units that have pledged and dedicated to being smoke and tobacco free. So we encourage anyone to go and use our smoke free housing directory again on gethealthyclarkcounty.org. Wow, that's fantastic. So again, gethealthyclarkcounty.org if you want to find out where you can have smoke free meetings or live in a building that's smoke free, gethealthyclarkcounty.org. And if you want to access resources that will help you quit, 1-800-QUIT-NOW is the number to call or you can text quit now to 333-888. Yes. Malcolm, this has been wonderful. I want to thank you so much for being here today. And I was not aware of all these initiatives, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners were not as well. So thank you for bringing it to our attention. No problem. Thank you for letting me have some time to share this information. You know, we just want to create an environment where we can live, learn, work, and play smoke and tobacco-free. So I appreciate your time. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Today I'm speaking with Steve Ellis, President of Taxpayers for Common Sense. 
Steve joined TCS in 1999 and served over a decade as vice president before becoming president in 2020. He's testified in Congress dozens of times, appeared before 11 different committees, and been a Democratic and Republican witness for the majority and minority. He served as an officer in the U.S. Coast Guard for six years, and his expertise ranges from earmarks to flood insurance and a lot of spending issues in between. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Heather. So what exactly is Taxpayers for Common Sense? So Taxpayers for Common Sense is a national nonpartisan budget watchdog organization based in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1995, and we advocate on behalf of taxpayers, making sure that we get a fair return on our, uh, our spending and that actually the government works for taxpayers. Okay, so what problems do you see with the federal oil and gas leasing program? Well, it's unfortunately, Heather, it's it's uh, quite a long list. Uh, you know, okay. basically, you know, you have an issue where we've uh, charged below market rates. We don't charge enough to to, to actually lease uh, the land. Uh, we don't uh, uh, have a charge a, a fair royalty so that taxpayers will get a fair return. Uh, and then we allow people to basically to to lock up these lands. And so, you know, you have a case of where over the last decade that if we had actually charged the same royalty rate 18.75 percent that we charge for offshore leasing onshore uh, where we only charge 12 and a half percent we would have actually gotten 13 billion dollars more into the federal treasury over the last uh decade and half of that money would have gone back to the states where that that revenue is generated I'm not sure everyone's aware that we're leasing land. So could you explain exactly how this works? Sure. So the Bureau of Land Management, which is an agency within the Department of Interior, uh, is basically the nation's landlord of federal lands. And so they will set up either people will nominate uh, acres so that they want to potentially lease this land from the federal government to do oil and gas development on it. So then BLM will look through all of that and then come out with their, they'll do an auction basically. And uh, people will either bid on those acres or won't bid on those acres. And uh, what we found particularly in Nevada is that there are a lot of this land, it's um, not actually bid on initially. And so what happens is, is then people can come in afterwards and on these non-competitive lands and then actually provide a even lower bid than the very minimal bid that the federal government charges and so then they lock up this land that either they use it for production or they try to flip it to other uh developers and so you have this this huge issue uh particularly in your state that where there's all this land that's locked up by uh, uh speculators people who are basically squatting on federal lands Okay, so in an ideal world, what should it look like in your opinion? Well, we should have a system where the, the we're actually getting a return on our investment. I mean, and so essentially, if we're going to lease out federal lands, then we should be making sure that there are is going to be actual production on those lands and that there's going to be a fair return to taxpayers. And so you wouldn't have this sort of non-competitive leasing that essentially if a, if somebody doesn't want to actually bid on it, there isn't a competitive bid. Well, then it doesn't actually go out because then we're locking up that land for 10 years that somebody else has got the right to hold on to it and it can't be used for other development, whether that's 
mining or solar or wind or anything else that the federal taxpayer can get a return on it. And so you want to have a program that's right-sized and that is also making sure that it is generating a fair return for taxpayers because we all own these resources. How realistic is it to expect that the type of reform you're looking for will actually happen? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, so I mentioned at the you know in the beginning of our interview talking about the royalty rate. That twelve and a half percent royalty rate was set in nineteen twenty, uh, and so wow. uh, we are seeing some movement. You know, so this the, the administration currently is saying we're going to charge an 18.75% royalty rate on new leases. Now that's still gonna take a rulemaking or something that's stronger to go beyond this administration, um, but that is some progress. And we we saw some reforms back in 1986, but you know times have changed. We're not in the same, you know, that's decades ago and development has changed. And so we need to see some of these reforms, some of it can be done through the administration and through BLM decisions and, and better decisions at, at the agency, but some of it's gonna require Congress to really revamp the entire system. Okay. And why is this type of reform more important now with the rising prices of gas? Well, this is all going to be an issue of where we want to make sure that we're dealing, you know, the, the price of oil is set on a worldwide market. And so, you know, the events in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine has obviously had a huge impact, but we can't lose sight of that. These decisions that we're making on leases and oil and gas decisions today are going to be in effect for years from now when we're not in the same situation. And so we want to make sure that we get that, that program right, that we get the return to taxpayers, and that it essentially incentivizes the right development on these precious federal lands. Okay. How can members of the community who are listening in help to push forward reform or help make a change? Well, Heather, you, you know, these, uh, the listeners should, should contact their members of Congress and let them know that they're concerned about that and, and that they want to make sure that they're getting a fair return on these assets that we all uh, enjoy. And, and Senator Rosen has some, some legislation that we've supported as well that is um, trying to ref make some reforms to this program and, and think that's a good step forward too. In some ways, it seems like taking on the big oil industry how practical is that to try and do that? I mean, there's a lot of power and a lot of money behind that industry. That that's an understatement, Heather. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, no, there is, and certainly um, the the thing is, is that what they're doing right now is they're taking advantage of the high gas prices and they're they're pocketing that money. They're not actually increasing production or development. And so, you know, you've seen that in the last year the top 20 uh, oil and gas companies, you know, pocketed $73.6 billion in profits. And just Exxon alone got $23 billion of that. And Chevron got $15.6 billion of that. Normally in this oil and gas industry in the cycle, you'll see that when the prices go up, they increase production, but instead they're taking advantage of the increased prices taking that cash and then rewarding their investors rather than actually investing in new development or new uh, production. And so it, one thing that we've noticed is, is that they've taken advantage of this and said, well, the real reason is, is because we're not leasing more lands or that we're, we're asking for higher royalty rates when in reality they have the tools right in the, at their fingertips that they can actually increase production and have an effect. I won't say an enormous effect, but have an effect on gas prices. 
So where can people find out more about Taxpayers for Common Sense or the reforms that you're pushing through or even get involved themselves in helping with your mission? Well, people can go to taxpayer.net, our website, and learn more about us there. Uh, we also have a uh, podcast that we do uh, called Budget Watchdog AF, All Federal, that people can find that where they find their podcasts. And certainly they can reach out directly to us or learn more through our website and then contact their, their members of Congress. Okay. So again, it's taxpayer.net. That will let you learn more about Taxpayers for Common Sense and what their mission is, what kinds of initiatives they're undertaking, and the types of reform that they're looking for that will help you, the taxpayers. So again, that's taxpayer.net. And you can also tune into the podcast. And Steve, I want to thank you so much for being here and enlightening the listeners about the issue and how they can make a difference and why they want to make a difference. So thanks for your time. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me here, Heather. Happy to do it anytime. And you can read about other issues that we work on in national security and agriculture and infrastructure policy as well. Thanks. It was a normal day. He was in some minor accident, a fender bender. And I had this impulse to call him, but I didn't because I thought I could call him later that week. He abandoned the car, he came home, and he shot himself without ever talking to anyone. When I came home that night and I found her, they told me that she had shot herself and I couldn't believe it. I asked if he was okay. Shooting is unfortunately effective there are not a lot of second chances. Once you pull that trigger, that's it. There is no coming back. 63 Americans a day die by gun suicide. By storing our guns safely, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo, we can give our loved ones a second chance at life. Learn more at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the valley. Monday's Dark is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising 10K for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, June 20th at 8 p.m., benefiting NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Southern Nevada, Monday, July 11th at 8 p.m., benefiting Rebuilding Together Southern Nevada. And Monday, July 25th at 8 p.m., benefiting Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Foundation is holding the first installment of the Southern Nevada Business Leaders Forum on Wednesday, June 29th from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Bally High Golf Club. This event encourages business leaders to support and partner with law enforcement in Southern Nevada. Find out more or get your tickets at lvmpdfoundation.org. Ken Klein's Still Life Art Exhibit is showing through July 5th at the West Charleston Library, located on the CSN campus between Jones and Torrey Pines. Enjoy this local artist's hyper-realistic oil paintings featuring historical pop culture subjects. Proceeds from art sales are being donated to charity. 
Hockey stars from the Vegas Golden Knights and football stars from the Las Vegas Raiders will be facing off against each other to play softball. The third annual Battle for Vegas charity softball game will take place on Monday, July 18th at 7.30 p.m. at Las Vegas Ballpark in downtown Summerlin. Watch Riley Smith of the Vegas Golden Knights and his teammates take on friends from the Las Vegas Raiders, with proceeds going to benefit the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation. Funds from the event will be distributed to two nonprofits, Communities in Schools of Nevada, the state's leading dropout prevention organization, and the Maximum Hope Foundation, founded by comedian Brad Garrett to provide financial assistance for families of children dealing with critical, life-threatening illnesses. Buy your tickets or find out more details at battleforvegas.com. And the Nevada Wheelchair Foundation is giving out free wheelchairs to those who need them and can't afford them. To request a wheelchair or to help with the mission, visit nevadawheelchairfoundation.org. When a student lacks some of the most basic needs, like food, clothing, and school supplies, it can be challenging to even attend school. It can be hard to study, tough to concentrate, impossible to thrive. At Communities in Schools, we address this issue every day. Out in the community, there are great resources for students, and we bring these resources directly to the students who need them most. We work to ensure that they have everything they need to re-engage in learning in the classroom and at home. Including access to technology, learning materials, and even emotional support. By forging caring relationships with students and bringing communities of support to them. Our staff works to achieve equitable learning conditions so all kids can succeed in school and in life. And that's what Communities in Schools is all about. To learn more, visit communitiesinschools.org. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 